You are listening to the Next Best Picture Podcast, and this is our review of Tenet. All I have for you is a word. Tenet. It'll open the right doors. Some of the wrong ones, too. Use it carefully. To do what I do, I need some idea of the threat we face. As I understand it, we're trying to prevent World War III. I'm not saying I'm again here. No. Something worse. I gather you have an interest in a certain Russian national. Mike's bring me in. You really want to know? He can communicate with the future. Time travel? No. Inversion? Name it and pull the trigger. You're not shooting the bullet, you're catching it. Oh. Well, I've seen too much. Well, we'll try and keep up. Duty transcends national interests. This is about survival. Seems bold. Bold, I'm fine with. I thought you were gonna say nuts. This is where our worlds collide. How would you like to die? Old. You chose the wrong profession. Here. Hasn't happened yet. There are people in the future who need us. We need a tenant. We need to save them here and now. This reversing the flow of time. Doesn't us being here now mean it never happened. You want to crash a plane? But not from the air. No, it's so dramatic. Well, how big a plane? That part is a little dramatic. All right, Ryan C. Showers. Tell everyone where they can find you on the internet. You can find me on Twitter at RCS818. Daniel Howitt? You can find me on Twitter at HowittDK and on my other show, The Screeners Podcast. Cody Derricks. I'm on Twitter, Letterboxd, and Instagram at CodyMonster91. The film is starring John David Washington, Robert Pattinson, Elizabeth Debicki, Dimple Capita, Michael Caine, and Kenneth Branagh. It is written and directed by Christopher Nolan. And the story is as follows. A secret agent embarks on a dangerous time-bending mission to prevent the start of World War III. All right, everybody, you were just listening to the trailer for Tenet. Welcome to the Next Best Picture podcast, and I promise you, the rest of this review will not be done in reverse order as I just did. That's what you think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no promise. <laughs> oh my gosh, what a trip. What a movie. It's the first time I've been back in a movie theater since March. God. 
And what a reintroduction. Seriously, there's very, very few filmmakers out there that could possibly bring me back uh, to a movie theater during a pandemic. And, um, you know, I I understand there's a great conversation around that. Uh, We're going to, you know, I'm not trying to turn this into like a political conversation or anything like that. We're here to talk about the movie Tenet first and foremost. But I will say that I was very, very pleasantly uh, happy with the way that things turned out for our screening as um, Ryan can attest because he was there side by side with me. Uh, The air conditioning was completely turned off and I was sweating my ass off during the entire movie. (laughs) Uh, Everybody was socially distanced. Everybody was wearing their masks and there was like, what, Ryan, like 12, 10 people in a theater that was set to fit 250 or something. Very spread out. Yeah, very. um, I would I would say 15. But yeah, yeah, it was an empty auditorium. Exactly. So at the end of the day, uh, like I said, very few filmmakers that I would actually uh, do this for. And Tenet is a movie that does beg to be seen on the biggest screen uh, possible, even though uh, I didn't have the luxury of seeing it in IMAX. Although based on the uh, sound mix complaints that this movie has received, I'm not quite sure if I wanted to see it in IMAX. (laughs) I will get there. Don't worry. Yes. Yes. (laughs) I'm sure we'll touch on it in just a moment here. But uh, this is probably the biggest uh, film release uh, review that we have done so far in 2020, considering uh, the type of year that we've had so far. I'm really, really happy uh, that, you know, some members of the team here uh, were able to uh, see the film. And I'm happy to get a chance to talk about it, even though I don't quite know if I necessarily understood it all. So with that said, Cody Derricks, let's start off with you. What did you think of Tenet? Okay, so just to start off, I feel like um, I want to say that I am a fan of Christopher Nolan. I don't, you know, feel like I'm with the crowd on that one. I've liked to love every single movie he's made. Um, This is before I saw Tenet. Uh, And uh, going into Tenet, I was excited, obviously. I was a little bit, you know, trepidatious. I didn't really know what it was about. And about (laughs) 10 minutes in, I turned to my boyfriend to my right. I said, I have no idea what's going on. And that did not change the entire movie. Um, I was confused. I was lost. I was perplexed. Um, And then the funny thing is I got home and I read the Wikipedia summary and I was like, oh, no, I actually got most of the story. It just is told (laughs) and non-explained or like proper emphasis is put on explanations in a way that made me feel completely untethered and not necessarily in a way that I found exciting. in like a twisty, turny, convoluted kind of movie. It really felt like to a degree, and this is psychoanalyzing, but it kind of felt like Nolan truly didn't care if people knew what was happening in this movie. He just wanted it to be almost like a storytelling experiment. Um, And part of me wonders if it's kind of a reaction to the flack that Inception got for being so expositiony. So I I almost wonder if he was like, okay, he didn't like that. Well, let's see how he liked this one. (laughs) And, um, Yeah, I I think the action is impressive. I found the special effects very, very, very um, fun to look at. Uh, But at the same time, when I was lost in terms of what I was looking at, what was going on, why things were happening, it was less impressive to me because it was kind of just looking like it was like looking at like a montage on YouTube of a visual effects reel. It didn't have the impact that it would have if the story and everything around the movie was slightly more coherent. All right. Let's hear now from Daniel Howitt. Yeah. So 
Going into Tenet, just knowing the the little we knew about it, I expected the time aspect would be a little convoluted. Um, I, I, I never or I, I expected that there would be big ideas that we've not really explored before and that they, it would probably take a watch or two to, to kind of fully grasp that side of things. But what I didn't expect is that separately from the time inversion aspect of the film, that the plot itself would be completely confusing as well. And so I am with Cody. That's, that's what we got here. The plot is muddy. Um, it's rarely, if ever clear what any character's motivations are, what the goals are or the why behind any of it. Um, now that said where I start to differ from Cody, um, early on in the film, I, I said this in my written review, there's a, there's a very clear line that Nolan wrote and I took it to heart. If someone says, don't try to understand it, feel it. And as soon as I heard that line, I decided that that would be how I watched the rest of the film. I stopped trying to put the pieces together and I just enjoyed the film for what it is. Um, it's Nolan's dark take on Bond. It's a spy thriller. Once I gave myself over to, to that and just kind of ignored the messiness and confusing plot, um, I really, really enjoyed the action so much. Uh, I mean, no one is doing this sort of really high concept yet somehow also very grounded action um, like Christopher Nolan does it. It's really exciting, really thrilling, even while not understanding the plot. I mean, the cinematography is um, stunning. The editing is kind of mind blowing. I don't really know how you even approach editing this sort of project with forward and reverse stories happening simultaneously that I didn't understand. Um, and, and there's just a lot of impressive things here. The sound mix, I did see it in IMAX, and um, it was overwhelming, um, sometimes in a good way, sometimes not. Um, but yeah, I, I, you will not hear any defense from, of the writing of this film from me. Uh, it is a mess. Um, but I really got to tell the truth and say that I still enjoyed it from just a visceral uh, a visceral standpoint, it's it's a weak film, one of Nolan's weakest, but it's enough uh, to make this kind of enjoyable puzzle that I want to revisit in order to kind of put all the pieces together. So uh, I'm not super, I'm not really, really high positive on it. I wouldn't say that I love this movie, but I got to say that I really enjoyed it. All right. What about you, Ryan? Did you feel it? Did you feel this movie the same way that how it did? I felt it, Matt. I, I fucking felt it. Okay. So, um, you know, I, I definitely agree with a lot of what Dan said. The action is impeccable. I know Matt, you and I were having a conversation before the film and, um, we were talking about, do we consider Christopher Nolan an action director? And in my head, I don't really, um, I've considered him more just his own thing. Like I would consider Darren Aronofsky his own thing or something. Um, but here I think it's, I think it's some of the best action he's ever directed. Um, it's just a masterclass in choreography and and um, and the blocking. Like, but um, even apart from that, the concept of the uh, this inversion concept is so interesting and so, and so much fun. Um, I don't think it's. I think it aims to be something as smart and as perfectly written as Inception, but it's not. It's not Inception at all. Um, and it's not, it's not nearly, it's not nearly as, um, sharp as in Inception. Like I was able to kind of predict the inversion logic, especially in that third act, even though I was enjoying it thoroughly, I predicted a lot of what was a lot of the twists that were happening in the last, um, in the last hour, um, which they, I found like the last 30 minutes of this to be so enthralling, like uh, the editing and the, um, the ticking time bomb that Christopher Nolan's known for, 
it's um, it's totally on display here, and I got caught up in it. That being said, I do kind of I do echo um, everything that's been said about the writing. It's it's pretty it's it's pretty abysmal. Um, specifically, the the directing of the writing, if that makes sense, is not good. It's not transparent. It's not clear, and that's where it's going to get a lot of critics that that have already been after the film um and rightfully so it is it's diff- very difficult to understand um and not uh, even apart from just the the cogent a- aspect of this the screenplay the characters are pretty shallow um you know i love inception um for the record and one criticism i hear about it is that the characters are um so two-dimensional and there are some characters that just exist to move the plot forward and not uh, there's no depth to them. And I think that criticism exists for just about every single character in the film, except for maybe Elizabeth Debicki. But, you know, that's a whole other, that's a whole other breed that I would prefer to get into later. Um, but I have to say the score is probably going to compete for one of my, for my, my win of, for, mm-hmm. of the year. Yeah. If not the cat, if not, if, if not my runner up, it will be the winner. Like it's, um, it's, it's such a, terrific score and um i have to say it's some of my favorite visual effects that he's done um that nolan's done in a, in a film uh the practical effects are are more emphasized here than i think they have been in most of his films okay um here we go so i'm gonna preface this by saying i am a christopher nolan fan i have given christopher nolan uh tons of excuses i have uh basically kind of heard criticisms about some of his movies before brushed them off because he does certain things extremely well and unlike other directors working today i really appreciate his passion for wanting to create a cinematic experience for the audience i really 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 appreciate that a lot so much of what makes tenet work at times is the large scale the practical effects the editing, as you mentioned before, the score by Ludwig Goranson, I mean, is just electrifying. It's pulse pounding. It is adrenaline pumping. It is creating that forward momentum that Christopher Nolan films are known for. So the action scenes in this movie are terrific. Where Nolan loses me with this movie is not even in the inversion aspect, which is the high concept, right? That's where he is, once again, uh, you know, flirting with time. And at this point, it really is a loving relationship between Christopher Nolan and time. It's like kind of becoming annoying at this point. I really wish he would, you know, explore something new. But, you know, he's re-exploring this theme again. uh, And I think all of that actually makes a lot of sense. And that's the stuff in the movie that works for me. Where it loses me is where Christopher Nolan is so committed to making this a James Bond movie and the inevitable comparisons to Inception, I, I like I just said, they are inevitable. Uh, Inception felt like at times like a, like a Bond movie as well. So in a way, Tenet feels almost like we're treading over the same ground that Inception already previously covered. So let's examine why Inception works and 10 years later is still considered a masterpiece by a lot of people and why Tenet has gotten a less than enthusiastic response. Number one, 
first and foremost, and if anyone wants to, like, you know, challenge me on this, I welcome it. But at the same time, I'm pretty sure that I'm right. The protagonist, played by John David Washington in this movie, has no character motivation and no emotional hook about why we should actually care about his mission in this movie. It feels like almost he is a stand-in for James Bond, and you don't necessarily need an emotional hook or anything for James Bond because we already project so much onto that character already, and there's such a well-established history of that character that he doesn't really necessarily need all that. And if this movie had just been James Bond instead of John David Washington, I think it would have worked maybe for that reason. But otherwise, I don't know anything about this character. I don't know what he wants. I don't know why this mission is so important to him other than, okay, fine, generic saving the world stuff. But Cooper in Interstellar was also saving the world, but he was trying to get back to his daughter. Cobb was trying to get back to his kids. What is the protagonist's motivation for anything that he's doing in this movie. Can anyone tell me that? The crazy thing about the protagonist is, and I, it's hard to discuss this without giving away spoilers. Oh, no, no, let's let's do it. Because, We're doing it? Okay. Yeah, just go. I, I say go off. <laughs> All right, so you can't know what he is aiming for until the very end when we find out, oh, he's the one that set up this organization. He was the one that put everything into place to meet Robert Pattinson. He put the, you know, the, the, he had him save him in the opera house in the future. Yes. And so in a way that is thematically reflective of what the movie is going for about like what we do in the past, echoing in the future and it being reflective of us in the past. You know, this movie makes it literal with physics bending, but we don't know that until two hours and 20 minutes into the movie. And I will give you this, Cody. I'll give you this. Upon reflection, when I realized that and we got to the end, I did like the movie a lot more, but the experience of the two hours and 20 something minutes leading up to that, I was so confounded and so emotionally disconnected from everything that I was watching on screen that thank God that these action scenes are the best that no one's ever directed because this movie, the just the isolated experience of watching it, was not good. And I really, really wish that I had rewatched it now um, prior to hopping on this podcast because maybe I would feel a little bit differently. But I'm only going off of this one viewing, which also, for the record, didn't have subtitles. So that didn't help. And I think that that is... Uh, I think that's a gamble that Nolan has taken in his storytelling. And there's some people that it's inevitably going to work for because I really think that he has blind, passionate supporters that will praise the very ground that he walks on, no matter how crappy a movie he makes. Oh, they've already tweeted at me. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. And then there are some people who, like myself, can admit that he has flaws, that he's capable of messing up. And I think this is a time where... Yeah. It didn't fully work, and that's perfectly okay. <laughs> it's such a wasted effort in some ways because had Nolan come to um, to shoot this with a script that was as tight as Inception was, um, I think this concept could have been so amazing. Like the uh, the, the laziness with the, the, with the writing, and when I say laziness, I'm not even just talking about like the the lack of transparency with just us understanding the standing the plot like you know for instance there are like three scenes at the beginning of the film before the film really picks up where um the, it's trying to, like there are three individual scenes and it's almost like each individual scene was like the beginning of the movie like there there was no building of, of the scenes on each other um no there wasn't a singular vision there wasn't a singular arc of these scenes to propel us into the action and like you know 
the um, Elizabeth Debicki storyline um, with the domestic abuse was pro- probably some of the worst writing yeah. and execution that Nolan has ever had. Like, and I give him, I, I give his intentions like a thumbs up. Like, I think he was really aiming to tell um, a feminist arc with Elizabeth Debicki's character, and he's received criticism for that too uh, in the past for how he writes women or lack of writing women, if you will. Mm-hmm. And I, I. I I, I agree, Ryan, that his intentions to maybe try and address those claims with her character were there, but I think I think he was trying so hard to do something like to to, to tell a good feminist arc, and he just failed at it miserably. And it like it just exposes like the worst kind of like like the way that men write women. It's the the worst examples of that. Um, and I don't think and he like it's subconscious. I feel like he subconsciously. Like just he he couldn't do it like and it it, it was a big flop because that's supposed to be the emotional arc then that we're all supposed to go on and that is what's supposed to make us care about these characters in this story is what happens to Cat Elizabeth Debicki's character because once again when Robert Pattinson's character Neil is introduced into the story and he kind of just shows up introduces himself to uh, the protagonist. Once again, I don't know necessarily what Neil wants, what his role in all of this is, you know. Inception gets a lot of crack for, uh, crap for being uh, heavy on exposition, but at least it was clear, and at least I understood what everyone's role was on the yeah. team and what everybody was setting out to do and so on and so forth. Here, I was lost. <laughs> That's the thing with the Inception comparison is that the way Inception works is, yes, there's a lot of, of exposition and explaining, and poor Ellen Page's character exists to only ask questions. But what that <laughs> means is that we have a full hour of building up to the heist that takes – in a Oh, uh, takes the entire last hour of the movie, and because we have that much set up in this otherworldly, you know, physical space, we can just like move really quickly. And the smallest images, like an image of a person like falling in slow motion in a van, has the like utmost dramatic tension. <laughs> in a which in a vacuum, it obviously wouldn't. And this movie doesn't do that. It doesn't have the ability of, you know, just telling us those things in shorthand. I mean, the part where the protagonist goes into the inversion chamber for the first time and he's in the world of inversion, it he's literally pushed in and rushed through and like things are explained so quickly and it's like, don't worry about this, but also worry about this. And it's just I I was it was it was yeah. not impressive to me. The pace of this film is unrelenting and sometimes that helps the action be exciting, but other times exactly like you're saying, Cody, I felt the entire movie from the the opening bang of this movie, it just was nonstop and to, to I couldn't catch my breath to to even I felt like there was a lot of exposition in this film, but it was so rushed through that I wasn't catching any of it and following any of it. So it didn't the exposition wasn't helpful. And it also gets bogged down, too, by this espionage thriller, James Bond-esque storyline of there's this Goya painting and it's being used as blackmail. And John David Washington is now trying to get this artifact. And why is he all of a sudden trying to help out uh, the Kenneth Branagh uh, Andre uh, character? And it's like, I don't know who's trying to help who, who's working for who, because once again, character motivations are are kind of unclear a little bit. And it doesn't help, once again, that the dialogue is hard to make out in a lot of scenes in this movie because of Nolan's views of pushing the sound mix to its very brink. And while it does make for a very immersive experience on a sound level, like that scene when they're uh, out on the boat, for example, 
I couldn't make out a single line of dialogue. You know, the scene where uh, Kat, like, pushes Andre overboard. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, on that weird, like, rich person boat thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I couldn't make out a single word that any of them were saying. And and, and so much of the dialogue in this movie is said through walkie-talkies or through yep, the masks. Exactly. My point exactly. They're wearing masks or helmets or radios or staticky phones. Really important dialogue, things at the climax mm-hmm. of the movie, and I couldn't understand them. And I'm sure they would sound, like, cool if it was mixed better, but it wasn't mixed well. Well, that's the thing. Well, it, the, the, it, the, the sound mix is interesting because it sounds very realistic. Um, so, like, you know, I like it, but in that, at the same time, I can't understand a word that's that's being said. So it's interesting, but not actually helpful. In the film, and I want to so. just be very clear. Like, there's not like, you know, in retrospect, sitting here now talking about this movie with you all. Like, I get the story. Like, I understand everything that was happening. But in the moment watching it, it was, you know, they have that line in the trailer where he's like, well, try to keep up. And it's like, well, I'm trying, motherfucker. <laughs> like, I can't. <laughs> um, even that scene where Aaron Taylor Johnson is like recapping and trying to tell um, the two squads like what their mission is going to be for the final scene. I was like, wait, what? Like, I, I just I did not understand. I, I got the whole pincer move thing. I got all that. I understood that one team would be moving forward. One team would be moving backward. But I there was still something about it until I actually saw it executed visually that the dialogue itself just had me so lost. And I I think it is because some of the some of the dialogue in this movie to me uh, is definitely a little bit more highbrow and sophisticated and i don't think it's actually being um written for a general mainstream audience and you know i think it's very reminiscent of spy thrillers that nolan grew up on even outside of james bond you know espionage thrillers do tend to be very convoluted and they do tend to have a lot of moving parts and there's a lot of uh, deception. You don't know if somebody is necessarily uh, telling the truth. And, you know, you're kind of reading into every line that's being said by somebody. So in that regard, I actually think that like Tenet is an admirable attempt by Nolan to like kind of recreate uh, that kind of genre, even more so than Inception, because Inception, I mean, let's face it, some of the dialogue in Inception, even though it's high concept and its ideas, the dialogue is dumbed down so that an audience gets mm-hmm. it. Where Tenet is really, really pushing, I think, the audience's limit in regards to just how much they can take in and actually process and understand. Well, Matt, something you and I discussed um, immediately after the film was the inversion concept of the film and the spy thriller. um, They're almost like, they're almost competing with each other and each each exists to the other's detriment. Mm -hmm. And I personally think the film would have been better if it would have focused on the inversion element and built out from there as opposed to having these two competing things um uh, these two competing um forces in the screenplay it almost feels like nolan wanted to make the espionage thriller but it's like oh well because i'm christopher nolan i have to have some sort of high crazy concept that's going to increase the budget and make people want to actually go to the cinemas to give a damn about the type of story that i actually want to tell i completely agree that I don't know. I don't know because the, I mean, the inversion concept is so, um, it's so thought out and it's so, it's executed so well. I just can't imagine that it's something that was like hindering him or it was a second thought. I, I really, I think the way I read the film was he had this idea this about physics and about 
um, these cool action sequences and tried building something around it. And it just didn't, it, it, it ended up competing with the inversion aspect. And it's almost like they're two, you can break the, you can edit the scenes, you know, out from each other. Like you have like one film that has all the scenes with the, um, with the spy thriller and like the inversion action sequences. Like they're almost like detached from each other in a way. And I want to just remind people again that these action sequences are awesome. These fight sequences, some of them that are running in reverse are awesome. I mean, there's some stuff in this movie that I've never seen before on screen. And in that regard, this movie actually fully delivers. And that was really, really great. But if I don't care about the characters or if their motivations are very unclear to me, you could give me all the practical in-camera effects in the world. I'm going to give a damn more about Avengers Endgame and all of its CGI because I care about those characters at the end of the day. Yeah, it's there's nothing to care about here. There's no question. And that's why, you know, I, I do think this film can still be enjoyed even without comprehending the plot. Just you know, kind of going in knowing that and and just accepting that the action is going to be mind blowing because I think it really is effective on that way. So. Um, so, yeah, that's why that's why I'm, I'm not mad at this movie. I, you know, I still enjoyed myself, even though I really I can't argue with any of the complaints you guys have about the stories or characters or motivations. I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. I haven't been like this disappointed <laughs> in a Nolan film since The Dark Knight Rises. And yeah. You know, I, I, I think it's mostly because of the fact that, you know, there's been such build up to this. Um, it is a pandemic. It's, you know, Nolan is the savior of cinema, you know, and all of that. And I I'm just a little underwhelmed, to say the least, uh, on a storytelling level here. But with that said, you know, I want to I want to like dive into the characters or whatever aspects of it that we can here. Uh, John David Washington, let's start off with him. He is the star of this movie. And, you know, for a flat character that honestly, you know, like I said, we start off, he's doing a mission and then boom, he's on to his next mission. And we never like understand like what actually makes him tick other than we see him climbing a ladder, however many feet in the air and doing these pull ups. And it looks like he's got like a death wish, like he's reckless. I don't know. I don't know anything about this guy, but regardless of which. John David Washington has so much charisma and really, really does carry this movie on his back in a way that I was extremely impressed with, considering all the faults that the screenplay laid out for him. Yeah, he's so charismatic that and this is going to sound like weird, faint praise. It was almost hard to tell what his character was aiming for moment to moment because he was so good at convincing people that he was like tricking into thinking that he was on their side, such as Kenneth Branagh. Because he's so effortlessly charming that I was like, wait, are we <laughs> supposed to be rooting for Kenneth Branagh now or something? And like, that's again, that's a credit to John Dave Washington because he's doing that's his job is to be ultimately charming and like a, like a con man almost. And like we know Nolan is obsessed with con men that they're in almost every one of his movies. And John Dave Washington is one of the more believable ones so far. When Kenneth Branagh threatens to slice his throat and stick his balls like in his throat wound and John David Washington just plays it so cool that 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 alone right there tells you everything you need to know about like how cool John David Washington plays this role. And how do you want to die old? That's a great line. I love that. Yeah, I do. 
I, I genuinely do. I like that. I also like the scene where um, he's wearing who knows how expensive his suit is that he's wearing. The suits in this movie look in, freaking incredible. But then they tell him like, oh, you're going to need to buy like a million dollar suit or something like that. I was like, get yeah. out of here. Like what? Yeah, they were talking about him as if he was dressed in rags. And I was like, oh, I, I thought it looked nice. <laughs> I thought it looked really good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, Robert Padson. Great actor. Really, really phenomenal last year in The Lighthouse. Uh, he's got a couple of movies uh, this year and The Batman next year. Uh, what would you guys think of him in this? I thought he was really good. Um, I was trying to think. It's been a while since I've seen Robert Pattinson not play uh, a really outlandish character. Like It felt like he was kind of playing... I mean this in a good way, kind of playing a version of himself. Like he was a real, you know, down to earth, you know, no weird accents, no nothing like that. And so it was kind of refreshing to see him playing that sort of character. So I, th- I thought he did a good job. The character, like we, you, you guys have already said, you know, I had no idea what he, what his goals were or motivations until the very end of the movie. But other than that, I thought he did a good job as a performance. Have you guys heard the theory that his character is Cat's son growing up? What? Um, That's, that okay. would be really cool. <laughs> yeah. oh boy. I, d- I don't think Nolan is that interested in outside um, like storytelling possibilities. He seems to me like somebody who just puts it all on the page in a way. Because he shows us everything, you know, he's one of the things that's good about his filmmaking is that he lays all the cards on the table and then flips them over without explaining them. But you get to still feel smart because you go, oh, I know what all that means. So he includes everything in the movies. I I also just don't like fan theories in general. <laughs> um, but I hope yeah, it gets I, disproved I, because like Inception's yeah. uh, spinning top ending, I just don't want to debate this forever. If uh, yes. And that's the thing, the spinning top, like it's in the movie. Just watch the damn movie. You'll have your right. answer. You know, there's yeah. people looking for more than there is. Yeah. But I thought Pattinson did a, did a good job. I think all the actors did a fine, suitable job with, the roles that they were given, not characters, because I, I mean, char- I feel like characters is too strong of a word to describe the people in this film. Well, I mean, when you name one of your characters the protagonist, it, that's an archetype, <laughs> not a name, you know? Yeah. You might as well be named Hero. I wanted Robert Pattinson to, I wanted somebody, I wanted anybody to just have a character in this and not so much be uh, their action, because that's really what they are. They're, they're people doing action right they're doing things throughout the movie or they have a role like a job yeah exactly almost like a like a tabletop game character or something right but there's nothing in this movie that made me feel like they were like actual people <laughs> i think elizabeth debecky as cat um i think she's probably the most um the most three-dimensional of the yeah, uh, of, of the cast 100 agreed uh, and it's still not great like i said i have issues with the, with the character and with the storyline and how it's written and directed. And um, for the record, but, by extension, Kenneth Branagh's character is actually pretty well uh, laid out as a result of that because he is, a, you know, um, a foil to her uh, in their scenes together. Yet, even though, like, they're... Th- their most intense scenes, like the first scene where he... where she pulls the gun on him midway through. And I th- I found that to be such a terrible scene. Like, in the way... I, whenever the tables turn and he regains the control... It just was like watching like it was like watching the worst soap opera on like network TV. Like it was it was it was terrible. But I think it was Tebeki does give a really great performance here, especially with um every like, especially since she's swimming against the tide. Um, in in essence, did you try? Did you try to make a pun, Ryan? Did you did you try? 
No, I didn't. Okay, because I was just thinking about her jumping off the ship, and I was like, did Ryan just try to make a pun? No, did she, that yeah. effortless dive, she used to having no trouble swimming in either direction. Um, <laughs> well, <laughs> like, whenever you're 10 feet tall, I mean, you know, exactly. and like, you know, a size, a size two, like, you can... Uh, you can effortlessly effortlessly swim. Like, you can also you know. can also when you're that tall also open up a car uh, with your foot across the entire <laughs> length of the car. Oh, that was the most <laughs> thrilling special effect of the whole movie. That was phenomenal. <laughs> but again, like Elizabeth Debicki was just uh, she was often sidelined into playing, even though Christopher Nolan was trying to give her this big empowering arc at the end. She was still sidelined to the uh, damsel in distress and yeah. the mother, and, and that just and like. You know, again, like the the domestic violence scenes really just were terrible. Like I already get I already get it that Andre's a bad guy. I don't know if I necessarily need that to be hammered in so much. But the thing that annoyed me so much uh, about this arc for her is the fact that they're making such a big deal all this time uh, about how if Andre kills himself, he's got pancreatic cancer, like this guy's going to die. You know, and so they're making a big deal about it. How if he dies, the world dies with him. I never understood that for a second while I was watching the movie. No, I didn't either. But I was just accepting it at face value. I'm like, OK, if Andre dies, then the whole world goes with him. OK, fine. Right, because fine. if he has such a death wish, then why the fuck does he care so much about Elizabeth and Becky, what she's doing and where her where his son is? Right, like, it, right. it doesn't line up. Right. Unless it's just an ultimate power play. And he's just I mean, he's obviously a psychopath. So I guess that's it. But that's not super thrilling to me. Yeah, because this whole thing is like if he can't have her, then nobody can. So he's going to take the whole world with him. Okay. I, I, it, it, Yeah, it's not good writing. Uh, but what kills me is that she shoots him anyway. And it's like, girl, you know what the stakes are. The movie's made it very, very clear to you what the stakes are. And you got so wrapped up in the emotion of this moment that you shot him. Are you kidding me? OK, but so like it, it first of all, it still works out. But second of all, like, she plays that scene so well and the character is used so well in like the in the buildup. And like how I was talking about earlier, like I, I really will defend this part of the film. But what I'm saying is, Ryan, is that no one wants that to be an empowering moment. But instead, it comes across it comes as stupid. You're going against the plan and a bunch of fanboys, misogynistic yep. fanboys are going to be like, oh, well, she's jeopardizing the whole mission. Like it's like he's giving an excuse for people to criticize her in that moment. And it's like, why would you do that? And again, Christopher Nolan doesn't understand how uh, he falls into the trap of like, the worst drops of men writing women. So, yeah. Right. It's like violence is a way to project strength, which is what is the most powerful thing. And it's 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 not not great. The thing about Debecky's performance, though, is that she kind of fills in the gaps in the screenplay in terms of her character. Little mm-hmm. moments like when she's in the car with Branagh um, going backwards when they're on the in the freeway chase and she has the gun being held to her and she's just weeping and it's like kind of almost out of focus in the background but just little moments like that just show that you know she's an extremely talented actress mm-hmm. not just in terms of her ability but also in terms of her um emotional and uh empathetic abilities and her the way she can really fill out a character uh well what i was going to say is despite the underwritten nature of their relationship i actually i agree with you debecky did a great job with what she was given um, yes she's so talented. Um, I think the same with Kenneth Branagh. 
I actually think he did a really, really phenomenal job, even though a lot of what he had to do was kind of silly. Um, I think he did a great job at making the the most of those moments. And I actually found it to be pretty terrifying in, in a lot of the scenes. Um, so I, did you guys did you guys feel that way? I've seen I've seen mixed reviews to his performance, but I really enjoyed it. Uh, it was a lot, but I don't really know what else you're supposed to do with a character <laughs> like that. So I don't know. Job in terms of and Cody, you could speak to this because you just watched how many James Bond movies, if not what all of them recently, uh, every single one. As far as like a James Bond esque kind of villain goes for a more um, less campy, sort of serious modern day action film. I thought that he actually fit the role quite well. Yeah. I, I was tempted to say that he was probably best in show, but upon reflection, Elizabeth Debicki is best in show for me uh, because of how much she does elevate that material and it is able to give the film some sort of a beating heart that I that I cared even a little bit. I mean, the final shot uh, alone, I, I, I got to give credit to Nolan. Nolan does a great job with his endings usually in his movies and Tenet is no exception and she gets that final moment. So I think that that all works. But Brana though... Other than the gold scene where he beats the guy with like the gold bar, I I never got like the I never got like the threat of him. There's a lot of people saying how powerful he is and how intimidating and like threatening he is. And like, I just never I, I guess I never really got it because the whole time in my head, I kept thinking of campy, silly Bond villains. And that's exactly how he was kind of coming off to me. So it was hard for me to take him seriously because the stuff that he uh, was doing outside of being abusive towards Elizabeth Tebeki, I never fully, I never fully bought in that he was so powerful that he's like the most feared man like on the planet for everybody. You know what I mean? I think if somebody said that Elizabeth Tebeki fills in the gaps of the screenplay where where it fails for her character. I think that's so true. Um, but you know, her character, if you think about it, like I think. I'm a huge fan of both um, Marion Cotillard's character in Inception Mall and the Selena Kyle character in um, The Dark Knight Rises. And uh, Elizabeth Debicki's character is almost like those two combined with like this weird domestic violence thing thrown in there. And she's she's still like, you know, for a larger context, you know, she's the best character in the film, but compared to everything else that Nolan has created, in in his filmography, it's still pretty weak sauce. Like, what do you all feel about the characters as a whole compared to his other films? Because I, after I rewatched Inception recently, um, I got into an, um, a discussion with Michael Michael Schwartz about this um, and that he felt the characters were so shallow in Inception, and comparatively, Inception uh, the characters in Inception like Ellen Page, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Tom Hardy. Like they seem like fully functional human beings compared to Robert Pattinson's character, for instance. One hundred percent agreed with you. Yeah. Even even on the undeveloped basic level, Tom Hardy's got funny quips and inception yeah, and banter yeah. with Joseph Gordon Lovett's character that kind of gives that a little bit of a spark. And it's tiny things like that that help that cast to kind of stand out a bit more where with Tenet, there's none of that. I know a lot of people joked around about the humorless uh, complaint that was in like an initial review for this movie. And everybody was like, well, do you go into Nolan films expecting humor? And it's like, no, but it could have helped this movie a little bit. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I think I, I just watched Inception last night again. And I think a big portion of the issue is I, I ex- agree exactly with what you said, Matt. It's the little moments that you get that aren't necessarily character development in terms of uh, motivation or anything, but but they have things that set them apart from the other characters. Um, uh, in addition to the examples you said, you have Joseph Gordon-Levitt kissing Ellen Page, which is a little bit cringy, but it's like, it's a moment that you kind of remember. And so here, everything is just moving at so such a fast pace. There's no time to breathe with the characters. So really, they're just functioning to get you from point A to point B as fast as freaking possible. And so there's just no time to get to know any of them with the slight exception of Elizabeth Debicki. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the comparison, Ryan, to Inception, because actually during this movie, I found myself missing the really well um, established specific team members of Inception. And I don't mean well established in terms of like we know their wants and desires. We know everything about like obviously we don't, but they are very specific in their personality, in their voices and not, you know, in terms of how they would speak and what they would, you know, how you expect them to react moment to moment and what their roles are in that movie and that that this is just that's just not here in this movie no this movie is just more about the experience and the experience is definitely awe-inspiring i mean in terms of like the set pieces and some of the action i know we kind of alluded to it before but um you know the plane sequence for example right which is something that the marketing has used a lot I, i i i said this to ryan afterwards i was like Seeing that in camera and seeing an actual explosion that wasn't a CGI explosion, it's really cool because it feels like I'm watching almost like a YouTube video of somebody was actually there live, filmed it. I mean, that's exactly what this is. It's all practical, right? Uh, But at the same time, I don't know. I kind of thought to myself, I was like, huh. You know, if they added a little bit of CGI, the moment could have been more spectacular. You know, they could have they could have Michael Bade this shit up a little bit, <laughs> you know, <laughs> giving it a little bit more boom, if you know, if, if you know what I mean. So I I, I kind of was missing a bit of that at times. But then the freeway chase chase scene was excellent. I really, really, really liked uh, that scene a lot. And then the ending with everything just being inverted, the exploding buildings and everything else that was happening. That was just jaw-dropping because that's where the visual effects um i was telling i was saying this to ryan i thought to myself i'm like okay there there is some really sneaky good visual effects work going on here where i don't know if they shot this two times one with the forward timeline and one with the uh, backwards timeline and then they use visual effects to stitch the shots together and you know and i'm like i don't don't know how you would do that because the camera is moving so much but however they did it, it, it was really, really, really something. And it was definitely one of those moments where, you know, my filmmaker kind of brain like clicks on and I'm just like, how did they do this? You know? Yeah, there's one shot in the like Call of Duty mission that's happening at the end where they blow up a building twice in like reverse and then forward uh, fashion. And that, even though I had no idea what the fuck I was looking at or why they were doing this or what the importance of this was, I was like, Oh, cool. (laughs) (laughs) So like I, and Matt, like I I appreciate what you say about like um, how you, uh, how you like, like, and you admire the fact that there wasn't a lot of um, that. makes you feel like you're in, like you're like, you're, you were, there watching the plane crash. Yeah. 
I but like you're still desiring something. I see. That's the thing. I guess I diverge from you. I really appreciate how, everything about the special effects um, on the bigger scale, on the smaller scale. Um, I I found myself really respecting the hell out of every out of most every choice that they made with the special effects. Here. I mean, to be honest, and I think Dan Howard probably felt the same way when he was watching the movie too. It got to a point where. I just wanted the talking scenes to kind of just end and I just wanted to get on to the next yeah. action sequence because those were the only moments in the movie where Ludwig's score was like really coming alive, where the forward momentum that Nolan is known for and the cross cutting and things like that, like all kind of come into play a bit more. Um, I mean, that opening scene at the uh, Kiev Opera House is just, oh, like that is a, that was a great opening. Yeah. You know what it reminded me of? This is. Uh, it kind of reminded me of the opening and the um, the terrorism scenes in The Dark Knight Rises. Yes, and oh, I definitely. Yeah, like with like uh, as a compliment. Like I, I I I like The Dark Knight Rises a lot, and um, but just the vibe and the imagery, it was very reminiscent of that, and it had that same like real world terror feeling that The Dark Knight Rises had at times. Yeah, that that might be one of the most frightening um sequences that nolan's ever directed because it, it felt very real and very grounded because there's there's uh, only one very minor um abnormal thing that happens with time of inversion towards the end the rest of it is just very real and it was terrifying yeah um it was both terrifying and also a little like i don't want to say confusing but um intriguing is the word i'll use you right because they're using the gas to uh take take out the whole audience and um well, let's put it this way. The, the opening scene of the movie, once you know the ending with Robert Pattinson's character, makes a hell of a lot more sense all of a sudden. So that's what I mean before when I was saying that, like, this movie definitely, I, I'm going to rewatch it. If it wasn't for COVID, I probably would have already rewatched it by now. And I don't know if I would appreciate it more on that rewatch. I, I don't know. I think I would. But even still, even despite that, that does not immediately make it the new Interstellar for me. It does not make it the new Dark Knight Rises. And I use those two movies as examples because those are two recent Nolan movies that they came out to positive, yet some mixed reviews. And in the years since their release, uh, people seem to think that they are like his top tier like types of movies now. And I, I mean, I don't I still don't really understand that on a personal level, but I can see where people are coming from. I wonder if Tenet is going to get reevaluated in a few years time or if it will forever be considered maybe one of Nolan's uh, more weaker efforts. Here's the thing about rewatching this movie. I am very excited to rewatch it because the the action and kind of just the thrilling nature of it is so enjoyable that even if I still don't understand it or I'm still not able to put the pieces together on my rewatch, um, I'll still at least, hopefully, be entertained by the action. Um, there's a, a movie coming out this weekend uh, that is baffling on other fronts. <laughs> um, but the problem with that film is that it's not enjoyable at all to watch. So I could rewatch it to put the pieces together, but it's so boring that I don't want to. This one, on the other hand, I still didn't understand it either. But I enjoyed myself, so I'm excited to, to, to see if I can put the pieces together. So um, I think it is hopefully rewatchable. I, I, I hope so. Like I said, I'm hoping that there's 
an emotional hook now on a rewatch that wasn't there the first time, now knowing what I know about Robert Pattinson's character. Because even like I, t- I was telling this to Ryan at the end of the movie where Pattinson is telling uh, the protagonist that they have this like great relationship that he's saying goodbye to him at the end and everything. And it's just like ringing a little hollow for me in the moment because they are talking about a future slash past i don't fucking know that hasn't happened yet for us the audience like we have we haven't seen that yet so it's like i i think that there is something there on a rewatch that hopefully on an emotional level will be unlocked for me what i'm most looking forward to on on the rewatch is not even so much the action scenes but it's more so understanding a little bit better some of the espionage aspects of the movie and um the blackmail with the goya painting and things of that nature because um that was the stuff where the movie was truly losing me even more so than any of the inversion stuff or any of the reveals um all of that with john david washington having to get these artifacts I was like, why does he need to get the artifacts? If he gets the artifacts, what will he what will he do? And maybe they said it in the movie and there were probably going to be people in the comment section that come after me and they're like, it's in the movie. And I'm like, and then I'll and then I'll just fire back at them. Well, you know what? The sound mixing sucked. So I couldn't understand it. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> you know? So, okay, like just a side note, I didn't get to say anything earlier, but there is a moment in the opening scene, like where and the funny thing about the opening scene is it's pretty like quiet for the most part and like as as it builds up. And like the first line of dialogue that John David Washington says, um, he says through the mask and it's such a greatly mixed moment. And I was like, oh my gosh, they've, you know, we're out of the, you know, the Dark Knight Rises interstellar bad sound mixing territory. But then as the film went on, it was, it was disappointing. So I, I, I think that the sound mix is better than what it's getting credit for, but I will admit it's flawed. I do think it's better than the mixes. It's not, it's not Nolan's worst. It's not a mixed film. The the, the best far. use of this mixing technique that he's had still is Dunkirk. And that's partly because Dunkirk was truly a movie where you really, really, really did not need to know what the characters were saying. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the, that's the thing with the sound mix in this one that I do think is my least favorite sound mix from a Nolan movie. Because like you just said, in Dunkirk, if it's like practically a silent movie except for sound effects, then like, sure, I don't really care if I can hear the dialogue so much. It's annoying, but whatever. This movie is not that it's very complicated and it's very, you know, the motivations and the goals and the twists are very specific. And when you're mixing your dialogue, like you don't care if the audience is following it, then it's a little bit almost like gaslighting to be like, don't worry about it. Just feel it. Just go along with it and then have it be really confusing. Well, but I also don't think that if I if all the sound mixing had been clear, I would have understand understood this film anymore. Sheriff, good morning. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one other point here, just in terms of we talked about you know the editing by Jennifer Lame. Uh, we talked about Ludwig's score. Uh, what do you guys think of Hoyt Van Hoytema's uh, cinematography in this one? So Matt, I actually had a I have a really great point about this on our Gone Girl podcast. You talked about how the uh, the David Fincher's few like the aesthetic of David Fincher's films it gets repetitive through from the social network through gone girl with dragon tattoo in the middle. And by gone girl, we're kind of like, meh, you know, meh. I kind of felt that it was like, I kind of apply that same principle to tenant and like the, the look of the film. I mean, it's nice to look at, but I don't think it, it, for instance, the cinematography is something groundbreakingly special on a aesthetic value. Um, the camera movements are great, but on like, you know, just like in terms of the, the look, it's kind of like, 
okay, well, I've seen this before. Yeah, I would say his collaborations with Hoyt Van Hoytema so far uh, with this Dunkirk and Inception, I'm sorry, Interstellar, I would rank Dunkirk first, Interstellar second, and Tenet uh, in third, probably. Totally, totally yeah. agreed. Yep. Yeah. It's not a bad looking movie by any means. It just doesn't have like a very inspiring color palette or like inspiring just a emo- like it, it just it just didn't it didn't wow me the same way that some of uh, Nolan's other uh films have before I, I i equate it to the dark knight rises where the dark knight had like this incredible cinematography especially compared to batman begins um the dark knight rises then went for um a less colorful uh look and just kind of went big with the imax cameras and like it just wasn't as in my opinion like aesthetically like pleasing to look at as something like the dark knight was uh, but it was just done on such a massive scale with such massive cameras and lenses that you couldn't help but just be uh, in awe of it. And Tenet goes for that as well, wh- where the scale is just so big and it just tries to overwhelm you with the size of everything. I mean, some of the locations in this movie, whew, locations in this are drop dead gorgeous and Hoyt Van Hoytema shoots the hell out of them. But it's not it's not Blade Runner 2049. You know, it's not the lighthouse. It's not. I don't know. I'm just trying. I'm trying to think of other like visual movies that like stunned me recently. You know what I mean? But it's it's to me, it's not. It's not that. Yeah, it seems more um, interested in like putting things in the frame that are impressive rather than shooting them in an interesting way. If that yes, makes sense. That Cody, you just summed it up perfectly. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, I guess we're up to uh, final thoughts here on Tenet. So, uh, Ryan, I'll pass it over to you. Any uh, final thoughts on the movie? Um, great concept, uh, great action, flawed script, and directing. Okay. How about, what about you? Uh, I agree with Ryan. Uh, I think great action direction, poor story execution. Um, yeah, I, I love the concept. I love the action. Um, but the writing is some of the worst of Nolan, uh, Nolan's entire filmography. Cody. I just want to say, um, there obviously was a lot of talk before this came out about like, is it responsible to release this now? And like, well, it's something you have to see in theaters and seeing it, I feel totally fine telling people that they do not have to rush out to see this in theaters, especially (laughs) putting themselves at risk. I was lucky enough to watch this in what was essentially a private screening, um, I would not watch it really in almost any other circumstance unless I could guarantee like Matt and Ryan that the screening was very, very low capacity. Um, but yeah, just the, the, the incoherence of the story combined with the complication of the plot really just is an immediate turnoff for me for any movie, no matter what is like the window dressing around it. So I really can't wholeheartedly recommend this movie, unfortunately. And it's a shame because I because I know what Nolan is capable of. Again, I've liked or loved every single one of his other movies that like I think it was Matt who said I'm just mostly disappointed because it feels like he kind of folded in on himself in this one. I really do think that this is uh, since The Dark Knight Rises, the most disappointed I've been in a Christopher Nolan movie. But with that said, I don't hate this movie. I know I've pointed out a lot of criticisms about it and Nolan is not above criticism. And every time I ever will try to probably tweet out about something like this, you know, even a ridiculous line like Elizabeth Debicki when she says, including my son, 
after they just said the entire world will be destroyed and she's like including my son oh yeah let's lump him in there great job nolan great writing uh, it just like there's a lot a lot a lot a lot a lot of flaws in this movie but at the same time i cannot deny that the <laughs> the nolan magic trick has made me want to rewatch it again in that re- and in that regard it is recommendation uh but at the same time i'm kind of with cody i don't think that People have to reach out. Uh, I don't think people have to go to a movie theater to see this. In fact, I think the best way to probably watch this is at home with subtitles, great sound, big TV. I think you'll be perfectly fine, especially with subtitles. I want to like emphasize that. I <laughs> uh, got to mention Michael Caine. I don't know what he was doing in the movie. He's got one scene. <laughs> He's in there for like 30 seconds. He was actually at lunch. They just found him there. Yeah. <laughs> it's the exact same thing with Inception. It's like he's in this movie for what purpose? I don't really know, but he's there. Exactly. He has to be there. Uh, it's it's not a it's not a Christopher Nolan film without Michael Caine, right? So Oh gosh. <laughs> oh, I need to call I need to call attention to this because this was like a big deal for me. I was shocked early on that Christopher Nolan had the title of the film Tenet display at the beginning of the movie instead of it having it in the credits at the at the at the cut to black. Yeah. Cuz every single one of his movies lately have done that where it cuts to black and then the title of the movie appears and then the credits roll. So I was very taken aback by that. I don't know if anybody else was, but I was. But also the scene itself I thought I thought was in, I thought it was an interesting place to put it like the within the um it came at a random abrupt kind of pl- when he's consuming there. the cyanide pill very random yeah yeah and so that was my most shocking thing about it like i was like whoa that's weird okay yeah uh my grade out of 10 for this movie uh i i really wrestled with this i went back and forth on a number of different uh <laughs> grades here uh but i eventually settled on a six out of ten which is the exact same grade that i have for the dark knight rises and following actually it's it's low tier nolan for me uh but i've still i and and maybe this was the closest i've ever come but like it's still a positive grade at the end of the day and i've never fully disliked or hated a christopher nolan movie and i think a lot of that has to do with how much i respect his ambition and his passion for wanting to deliver a very memorable cinematic experience. And Tenet certainly does deliver that, whether you're seeing it in the cinema or if you are watching it at home. I think it is something that is unique. It is something that uh, everyone should check out for themselves and make up their own mind about it. It's not something that I would tell people, oh, that's garbage. Stay away. Nah, I, I, I wouldn't go that far. I have to say, I'm a little surprised uh, that you're even at a six. I thought you had been... A five at the most. Oh, we were there for a period of time. <laughs> we, we, we were teetering. But no, we eventually landed on a positive rating. Uh, like I said, it's and maybe I'm being too nice given all the comments that I've said here today. But at the same time, I I think the fact that I want to rewatch it says something. Mm, yeah, I wouldn't say that for a five out of ten or, or four or three. I would I wouldn't say I want to rewatch it. Sure. So what about you, Howitt? What's the grade? Yeah, I'm at a seven. Um, I I still think it is a very enjoyable experience. It's a week seven, um, but exactly what you said, Matt. I really want to rewatch it, and so I think that's a sign of a of a great experience in, on some level. Um, so it's a seven, almost purely because of the action. All right, Cody, what about yourself? 
So I'm going to also surprise you, Howard. I'm also at a six. Wow. Um, a yeah. kind of unenthusiastic six, um, which means that it is tied with following for my lowest Christopher Nolan rating. And I think I actually like following more than this movie. So the, yeah, Tenet is my lowest Christopher Nolan movie on my ranking. And I think the difference with following is that that is very, very low ambition with a decent product um, to say for it. This is very, very high ambition with a kind of middling product. And in terms of weighing Ooh. those two things, I give the benefit to following. I like that. Nice. Yeah, that's good. Good reasoning. Ryan, what about you? I'm also a seven. I feel like I'm I'm a happy seven. Um, I, I, really, I, 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 I am a happy seven because like, I really like the last, like the last act really got me hyped. Like I was just like so enthralled and so engaged and I am looking forward to rewatching it. And I just found the inversion concept to be so cool and so fresh. And, um, uh, the, the flaws in it are like, it, uh, I, I'm not saying I'm ignoring them, but I'm not like as hindered by them because they're so bad. It's like, okay, I don't even, it's not, it's not even relevant to the good parts of the movie. So like, you know, whatever. But, and again, I, I really admire the visual effects and the score. Um, and more than I thought I would, to be honest, I thought both, I would be like, meh, eh, whatever. But I really, I really admired those two, those two technical aspects. Well, I love that you're bringing up the technical aspects, Ryan, because let's talk about Tenet's uh, Oscar potential, you know, currently at this time, I have it predicted for three Oscar nominations, uh, one for visual effects, one for sound. And I'll explain why in just a second. And uh, another nomination for Ludwig uh, Goranson, because that score is just freaking phenomenal. I was super, super worried when uh, it was announced that Hans Zimmer would not be a part of uh, this movie because he has just been such an integral um, collaborator uh, with Nolan's work over the last however many years at this point that um, I, I was definitely a little hesitant. But hearing the score that Ludwig uh, created for this, I, I, I have been waiting anxiously for it to pop up on my Apple Music. I like I cannot wait to re-listen to this. This is going to probably be like one of my running you know, work out, working on something for next best picture while I type vigorously kind of scores. <laughs> is this know? is this the point where I roast you for not liking Gorenson's Black Panther uh, score? We won't talk about that. <laughs> you not like his Black Panther score, Matt? Unbelievable. I, I, I'm not enthusiastic about it. I don't think it's bad. I just don't think it's incredible, as some I... people do. Anyway. <laughs> so the sound... I mean, if Interstellar could get nominations for sound editing and sound mixing and Dunkirk could win, I see no reason to think that Tenet wouldn't get into a category, even though it's only five nominees this year in one sound category. Especially because we know sound. it's most exactly most yep. sound. Exactly. Yep. yep. And yeah, we only have the one category. It's absolutely I would be I mean, we we got a lot of season left here, but I'd be still be very surprised if it doesn't make the cut. And right now, just because there's nothing else. I mean, I would consider it the front runner to win. But my my question in regards to that is, do we think that the sound branch of the Academy is just admiring that Nolan is mixing his films differently than anybody else out there? And that's why they keep getting in, despite the criticisms that people keep throwing at it. Yes, exactly that. Yes. Okay. Because at a certain point, I think those criticisms have to catch up with it. But maybe I mean, like, they are... just awarded Bohemian Rhapsody twice, so I don't know. Yeah. Like, don't hold your breath. <laughs> I know we I say mean, that a lot, but Jesus Christ. The Academy clearly does not have this, the same taste that critics do. Um, so I don't, uh, I don't think that 
there's a reason or we we should just predict based on the facts not like ask why and then when it comes to like the visual effects uh i have to be completely honest with y'all there was a good portion of this movie maybe two hours 10 minutes worth where i did not think this movie was going to get a visual effects nomination and until the final scene if I'm being completely honest with you all, because so much of it is in camera that I was wondering, did they do any visual effects period at all anywhere? Because I don't see it. And then when the inversion stuff happened, I was like, oh, okay. Matt, when you say visual effects, you mean like CGI specifically? Yes. Because the practical stuff would like still, you know, be considered. I mean, like I look at like Mad Max Fury Road, which is like at least half practical and that got in. Well, I think Dunkirk was um, the movie that brought up actually a greater conversation about that when it was shortlisted. Uh, I always forget that wasn't nominated. <laughs> yeah, and I remember uh, talking with Will Mavity uh, about it because he went to the Bake Off uh, for that presentation, and he said like a lot of the stuff that they showed off was practical in-camera, and there really wasn't like any computer usage being shown at all. So... That's so frustrating to me. The visual effects category is older than like computers being used in movies. So like, why right. should it not be a factor? But I was also wondering because of the critical reception of Tenet, I was, you know, just saying to myself, oh, like this, if there was ever a time where a Christopher Nolan movie did not get nominated for visual effects, when there clearly are visual effects, this could be the one due to its critical reception. But I still feel pretty confident that it is going to get that nomination strictly because I think it's an effect that just people haven't seen before. And I think it's really memorable. I mean, this year, I mean, yeah, I mean, you say critical reception. I mean, it's sitting at a 76 on Rotten Tomatoes. It's not like it's getting panned. You know what I mean? Right. No, but 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 it is definitely, I I would argue, slightly underwhelming. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, I'm, I'm with you. Um, but yeah, I, I, I was really with you exactly what you said, Matt, about it, it felt like the, the the editing almost appears to be visual effects so often just because of the reverse. Are the actors actually in reverse or the visual effects? But uh, yeah, I, I'd be very interested to see what their presentation looks like when they're inevitably shortlisted. Um because it'll be tough to see if the branch really goes for that much practical practical effects um, in this day and age, especially in a in a year that doesn't have a lot of theatrical releases. I would argue that Tenet has a stronger case than Dunkirk did. I agree. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah, yeah. And I also think too we're dealing with an Academy that's giving Oscars to First Man and to 1917 over the Avengers movies, so that bodes really well for Tenet, actually. The visual effects winner is almost always the the closest thing we have to a Best Picture nominee in the category, kind of. And so that's why, like, First Man wins, things like that. Yeah. Also, Tenet like, it's not much different than the visual effects of Inception, which are, like, obviously there's CGI in there more than in Tenet, I would, I would wager, but it's still mostly practical, or at least yeah. it appears to be. But also, Tenet does kind of fill that role as a s- seemingly best picture contender in terms of scope and in terms of like stature and sophistication so and the talent involved so again if it gets shortlisted and there's not a lot of um and there's not another best picture nominee in their tenant tenants in a good position um but i agree with what you initially said i think three nominations is probably a realistic day as of right now and i do think um these nominations that i'm thinking score sound and visual effects and these um it will have a better shot at getting these nominations because 
um, just the lack of competition with big theatrical releases like uh, su- such as films like these um, that would be competing for these categories. Um, I do think that there's probably an outside shot at cinematography, a very outside shot because of the different camera movements. Like for instance, I love it. I love Inception, but I wouldn't have given it cinematography over like Black Swan or any of the other great movies from 2010. But um, clearly the, the Academy, um, they, they respect uh, more, a, lot, a lot more than just an aesthetic view of, uh, of a film. So I think there's an outside shot with it, depending on how the rest of the year shakes out. And Buzz, I don't know about you guys, but like, like do you, I don't really remember the cinematography a lot. I really need to go back because there's just so much going on in the movie. I would love to go back just to watch and really examine the specific camera movements and see how they compare to his other films. I I think that, and and, I, and I'm going to say this right now, I think Tenet's chances at a Best Picture nomination are, I I think they're done before they even began. Yeah, not a chance. I just I I have such a hard time seeing Academy members like really getting this screenplay on a first viewing, enjoying it enough that it gets the number one ranking on their ballot. Like, I just have a hard time seeing that. Like, if Interstellar couldn't do it, why would why would Tenet be able to? And Interstellar had such an emotional hook to it. You know, it made people cry. But Interstellar was also messy in, like, a different way. I don't know. And I'm curious, too, about, like, do you guys prefer Interstellar or Tenet? Because I probably slightly prefer Tenet. I think the highs of Tenet are better. Um, but the lows of Tenet are worse than Interstellar. Well, Interstellar is my favorite, my favorite Nolan movie, so I'll let that, <laughs> let that answer it. <laughs> yeah, I, it's easy. Yeah. yeah. I prefer Interstellar at this point, yeah. Okay. So, I mean, it's out of the best picture conversation. Do we think that Nolan is out of the best director conversation as well? Yep. Yeah. yeah. I'm honestly just questioning how much the movie as a whole, even in the craft categories, which are its best shot, how much the film will fade from conversation by the time we get to when are when are nominations this year? Feb- late February or is it early March? I can't remember. The cutoff is uh, February. I, I'm, I'm wondering if even in the crafts, how much uh, it's going to be in a risky position by the time we get there. But uh, I mean, Nolan movies have typically come out in the summer, so they've been early anyway. But uh, yeah, I, I'm just not sure how the, the staying power of this film. So picture, director, any above the line categories, not not a chance, not at all. My my biggest question mark in the crafts is editing. I don't, and uh, that's the one where I don't know what I, I don't know. Well, I don't think it's um, stand outy enough, which seems yeah. weird because the movie's all about like time and movement. I don't think it's stand outy enough to be like the one or two films that get into best editing that aren't in best picture, uh, at least this year. Inception couldn't even get an editing nomination, and that was oh like, my God. editing was that movie. <laughs> so yeah. I have a feeling that Tenet will pop up in a few precursors, and I think it will be in the conversation for editing, but I, I'm i not going to predict it for a nomination at this time. If the movie had best picture heat, I, I would feel more comfortable. The editing is impressive just on in, in how difficult it must have been to edit, but at the end of the day, the, I mean, the movie is so confusing and some of the blame falls on the editing, I think, although the vast majority of it falls on the screenplay. Yeah, totally. All right. Don't think about it, guys. Just just feel it, you know. <laughs> right back where we began. Ryan, where can they find you on the Internet? You can find me at RCS818 on Twitter. Cody Derricks. I'm on Instagram, Letterboxd. 
Letterboxd and Twitter at CodyMonster91. Daniel Howitt. You can find me on Twitter at HowittDK and on my other show, The Screeners Podcast. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to our review of Tenet here on the Next Best Picture Podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, Acast, CastBox, and also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support which you can lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get some exclusive podcast content from us, including a two and a half hour long review of Interstellar that we just did recently. So definitely check that out. Thank you so much for listening as always, and we shall see you all next time. Let's dive into that, actually, because from an Oscar standpoint, I currently have Inception receiving three nominations. Inception got eight nominations. Do you mean but Yeah. Wow. Um, <laughs> that was awkward. Inception two. Let me let me, let me say that all over again. <laughs> the sequel. Jesus.